The Pinball Network is online. Launching the Aussie Pinball Podcast. Hello, and welcome to episode 7 of the Aussie Pinball Podcast. And playing us in this week is that fantastic Aussie American based country legend Keith Urban playing Walk in the Country. Me, I'm going where the fresh air is blowing. Take a little walk in the country with me. And although I'm not a country music lover myself, this is a favourite of this episode's guest, Rob Miller from Townsville. Rob is a current standing Australian pinball champion, having won the title in 2020, just before the dreaded COVID shutdown. And this episode, we'll chat to Rob about life in North Queensland, his pinball hobby, his restorations, his possum finds, and how to clean a machine properly with a garden hose. Hope you enjoy. Come on now, walk in the country. And we have as our guest Rob Miller from Townsville, who is the current, probably the longest reigning Australian champion because we had to skip a year <laughs> due to that nasty bug that came around. But uh, the current Australian Open pinball champion who resides in beautiful, sunny, hot, stinking hot Townsville. How are you, Rob? Good, thanks, Dr. John. Lovely to talk with you. Uh, yeah, I'm pretty happy about that long-running Australian champion title, even though I've got it through means other than my own skill. I'll still claim it for a couple of years. <laughs> and somewhere in the background there would be the largest Australian pinball championship trophy ever built because I organised it. <laughs> yeah. I'm hoping your children were happy when that thing came home in two or three pieces. Well, I certainly couldn't bring it home on the plane with me, so we had to get uh, Bill, the legend of pinball transport in Australia, to bring it up in his big-ass van because it was the only way it could fit that's good that was a that was a fun time that uh, that championship came down to the wire against uh, one uh, peter watt yeah will be also appearing on the podcast in the in the near future but uh yeah congratulations for that but enough about competition because people don't like talking about competition unless you're actually in the competition which is fair enough so what can you tell me about townsville what is it how long have you been in townsville are you born and bred or did you migrate north no, I was born in central west New South Wales in a very cold place called Orange that grows no oranges but plenty of apples and cherries. Grew up on a farm there and went to university in Toowoomba, which is not too far from Brisbane where you are. Uh, and then about 20 years ago, moved up to Townsville. I didn't even know where the place was. Um, for people that don't know the geography of Australia, it's very large. It's where about uh, 1,200 kilometres north of Brisbane, so in the dry tropics. I remember when I used to, I lived in Townsville for three years in my army days, and I always loved the people from Melbourne, including one Ryan C. said this to me once. He said, uh, I'm coming up to Brisbane uh, for a week's holiday. I might pop up and see you. And they don't quite realise it's actually further from Brisbane than Melbourne is. Yeah, <laughs> that's Kansas. exactly right. Townsville's nearly, nearly as far. but uh, Four hours for us to get to the, the closest town, pretty much. Kansas four hours north and Mackay's four hours south. That, that's major centres, so a fair bit of travel distance. I used to like to think of it as a roulette game, driving on the road between Townsville and Cairns. When you see a puddle after a bit of rain, 
is it a puddle or is it a four-foot-deep pothole? So it was uh, <laughs> always yeah. an interesting drive north. That's it. And remember that we measure rain in metres up here as well. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> I think Innisfail north of us gets over four metres of rain per year. Now, Tully's not going to be happy if you say Innisfail's the wettest because I'm sure the Tully locals wee in their rain gauge so they keep the record as Australia's wettest town. What do you think? Yeah, I think there's a fair bit of rivalry that goes on there. But uh, anyway, we get about a metre where we are. So, yeah, we're, we're due for about three or 400 millimetres uh, in the next couple of days. And uh, then it'll be back to the beautiful, fine weather. So you're, you're a country boy. It doesn't sound like a lot of city living going on there. What, what dragged you from the, from the uh, metropolis that is Toowoomba up to Townsville? Purely employment. I was finishing uni, tried for some work experience, and they said, no, we won't give you work experience, but do you want a job? And it was my best job interview ever. I said yes. And they said, right, sounds like you're the right person for the job. How much do we have to pay you? And that was the end of the interview for me. And I got the job. Wow. Now, get to give us a clue. Were you a fry cook at Macca's or what were you doing at uni? Uh, no, so I did agricultural engineering at uni and uh, it was a job in the sugarcane industry working with irrigation. So, um, yeah, since then I've been working with sugarcane farmers for the last 20 years. You're a doctor. I'm a, some people describe me as a plant doctor. Were you the one that came up with a solution for the uh, cane beetle? I used to work for the organisation that did actually introduce the cane toad to try and eat the cane beetle, and it was massively unsuccessful. 1935, 102 cane toads are shipped to Australia to eliminate the beetles that are destroying the sugarcane crops. By the look of things, this sturdy fellow is ready to go to work. So three cheers and welcome, brave champion. That one of Australia's master strokes was to introduce the cane toad to eat the cane beetle. And, of course, they came over to Australia and discovered they liked to eat everything else rather than the cane beetle and nothing could eat them. So uh, no. we have a good cane toad problem, especially in North Queensland, but we all cost a WA by now, I think. Yeah, that's correct. So I actually had a bus full of school kids. Uh, I took around um, the sugarcane growing area last week and was telling them exactly that story. But I did mention too, not every biological control agent is a failure like that. We've actually got some really good ones. What's some good ones in Australia? Uh, there's been uh, one to control the uh, prickly pear uh, and then we're working on some too uh, to control some armyworms in sugarcane and corn crops. Armyworms? Yes. What the heck's an armyworm? Uh, a green grub that's about two inches long and can fly 200 kilometres in a night and almost obliterate a corn or sorghum crop in a few days' time. So we've got some native flies that actually come in and lay their egg inside its head and then the little fly larvae hatch and eat the fall armyworm from the inside out. It's really cool. Finally, I'm a beautiful butterfly. <laughs> That's correct, yeah. <laughs> One of the uh, biological agents that did work well is the dung beetle. I was watching a hard quiz the other night. They, they bought in the dung beetle to help with the uh, the dung problem, and that has uh, adapted quite well to Australian life, rolling up the, the poo-poo around the place. And... Hey, who wanted the poo-poo platter? And, uh, yep. Do you have yep. anything to do with dung beetles? Oh, n only, apart from the fact that they actually hang outside our back door, I don't think it's because... Um, we defecate near the back door. It's simply they like get attracted to the light. Um, but, yeah, they hiss and carry on and the dog barks and then the kids quite like uh, having a look at them through the screen door. Yeah, that's the thing. Living in the tropics, we've got all sorts of creatures, you know, on our uh, – we've got a couple of acres here. We've got cane toads, beautiful big green 
tree frogs, snakes get around a little bit, uh, all sorts of the, the Aussie wildlife that uh, lots of people from overseas get a bit concerned about. Sometimes the best thing to do with a deadly snake in the house is to starve it out. I'll have a look around and then I'll tell the family just how to do that. Yeah, any snakes in the house? Yeah, I have actually had one. I walked out the back door and shut the door and one dropped on my head from there. So <laughs> myself and the wife uh, and my wife gave a bit of a squeal, but uh, yeah, got rid of him pretty soon after that. Ah, uh, Townsville. Yeah, go. I always liked going out camping anywhere in Townsville. If you leave a light on overnight, uh, coming back and just seeing the variety of stick insects, creepy crawlies that would be attracted to the light, same as the... The, uh, the Miller backyard door, yeah. <laughs> it's a menagerie of insects. All right, so pinball, so you really started your pinball habit in Townsville or was there a bit of prior experience? No, I, because we grew up in the country and, and I grew up on a farm, we didn't really have exposure. Like I'm certain I would have seen them in shops. Yeah, never really played them. Maybe a little bit sad, but my wife and I actually on our honeymoon uh, there was a games room at the resort we were playing and yeah, we played a fair bit of it and I thought this is pretty cool. And it wasn't until maybe four or five years after that, I uh, I saw a garage sale where a pinball machine was advertised. So I jumped on the motorbike and ran in there and there was a Williams Flash and it had $50 on it. I had zero idea what pinball machines were worth. And because I always like a bargain, I, I talked them down to $40. Uh, the machine turned on, but then that was it. And yeah, like I said, I knew nothing of the value or nothing how to fix them. They said, yep, they'd hold it for me. So I rode home on the motorbike and got the car and the trailer and went and picked it up. And between that hour and a half, uh, apparently a whole lot of people had also wanted to buy the machine, but I'm thankful to that lady that she, uh, she honoured her word. And I got it home and started typing up flash pinball, looked up the old uh, pin repair web pages and a fix, common fix for those is to reseat the 40-pin connector between the two boards, and lo and behold, the machine worked 100%. So that was my first little entry into the, the wonderful hobby of pinball. Excellent. What year was that? I don't know the exact year, but it'd have to be around 2007 or eight, I suspect. So in the days when pinballs cost $50 and you could talk them down to 40 <laughs> and that uh, that started the uh, the disease that is pinball collecting yeah correct i then put a few wanted ads in the paper and and got a few responses there i think i got a indiana jones and a star trek so again i knew indiana jones from my brief searching on the forums trying to fix flash was meant to be a reasonable machine didn't really know much about star trek next generation but yeah, again, following my nose on the pin repair web pages I, uh, and a couple of Aussie pinball forums, I managed to repair them and get them going. Uh, and then, yeah, started talking to Tony from the pinball shed and ended up buying quite a few machines uh, through him as well as plenty of finds up here in the tropical north. Excellent. So, yeah, Tony was a big importer of games, especially from Europe, who would... Uh, come in and bring them in by container loads and do them up and yeah. then sell them to us. Yep. And I must admit, I always have a chuckle when people put ads up on whatever social media or for sale site and they say, oh, it's not a Euro trash or container import rubbish. This is a good, solid Aussie delivered machine. Well, you could out clever us French folk with your silly knees bent running about advancing behavior. I'll wave my private parts at your aunties, you I've got Euro machines uh, that are absolutely amazing condition and I've seen some Aussie machines that are 
pretty ordinary and I've had a lot of experience with some of them. I bought a beautiful Doctor Who, which is an Italian import. What's the matter you? Hey, gotta know respect. What do you think you do? And Doctor Who's notorious for the uh, time expander raising up a playfield mech that will just shift from side to side and wobble on its way up and occasionally get jammed and remove your finger if you're not careful. And this Italian game I bought, someone had re-engineered the entire thing with with bearings and massive rods that it was so solid that it always went straight up and straight down, never got jammed. Belt-driven, double-geared. It was magnificent. So, uh, yeah, sometimes those imported games have some really good stuff in them. Yeah. So, actually, Doctor Who, um, just yesterday, I started in the shed uh, restoring one of those. And um, it is the second-last machine of probably, well, definitely my biggest haul I got. Uh, It was commonly known in, in the pinball circles quite a few years ago as the possum pins. So I managed to come across a stash of 14 pinball machines on Magnetic Island, which is about five kilometres off the coast of Townsville. And went backwards and forwards with this guy for about a year and a half, uh, and eventually went and inspected the machines. He didn't live there anymore. He lived a thousand kilometers away. And when we went to inspect the machines, uh, opened one of them up and a live possum ran out. It was uh, quite phenomenal. And yeah, the machines were in all sorts of disrepair, uh, cabinet bases falling out. Uh, most of the boards had acid damage. And interestingly, I put a, a number of posts up on forums saying, what do you reckon? Most people said, you wouldn't pay me to touch these. Well, I'll tell you what, it was a real adventure. Hired a trailer, went over on the barge to Magnetic Island, collected them all. It took about a day to get them out because we only had a, an opening that was about oh, about 1.2 metres square to get them out of this shed. And it was dark and, yeah, there was possums. Lucky you, possums. You're invited to my place for Christmas. There are gifts for everyone. Uh, yeah, but got them home opened them all up, aired them in my shed. Luckily, I had a bit of room in my shed then. And, uh, yeah, started restoring. Like, there was two Twilight Zones, two Doctor Whos, Adam's Family, Creature, uh, a couple of Getaways, Party Zone, two Fishtails, Dracula. Uh, Yeah, like a heap of really, really good fun 90s machines. And I guess that's what allowed me to um, expand my collection a fair bit and also get... An incredible amount of experience doing restorations and repairs. Are you allowed to make people cry and say how much you paid for the haul? Oh, look, it was that long, that long ago now. I don't think it matters. Uh, yeah, two grand for the whole lot. So it uh, it averaged out pretty good, $250 a machine or something like that. I could feel the tears flowing <laughs> from, from current pinball buyers. That's great. So diving headfirst into the restoration game where did you get the skills to do it uh probably growing up on a farm john i really just i I like getting into stuff and and learning about it and pulling apart so yeah i'm i'm no woodworker but i'm not scared to to give cabinet work a go uh i taught myself and a lot of help from forums and that sort of thing doing the uh, electronic and board repair side of things uh, and then, yeah, just pulling mechanisms apart. I suppose if you've got half a mechanical brain on you, it's, I, f- I find that stuff fairly intuitive and a little bit relaxing. It takes away from the, the stresses of your day job. So, yeah, I really enjoy it. And how do you go with part supplies, getting parts to Townsville? Yeah, mate, you know, we've got um, some pretty good Aussie suppliers here uh, and those unusual parts. 
Four candles. Four candles. Here you are. Four candles. No, four candles. Well, there you are. Four candles. No, four candles. Candles for forks. You know, for the old Gottliebs with EMs and that that we have to get from the US. Well, I've got accounts with those. And, um, yeah, normally shipping's not too bad except for the last 12 months or so. Uh, so, yeah, no, I haven't had big dramas, although sometimes you've, you've got to get creative and make some stuff up yourself, uh, which I've, I quite enjoy the challenge of that. What happened with Medieval Madness? Was that one of the halls or what did you do with that? Because I know I've played that at your house in an NBA cabinet. What can you tell me about it? Yeah, so a mate of mine that was living up here now, uh, then, he's now on the Sunshine Coast, he'd uh, been one of the, the very early people to do a medieval uh, NBA fast break to Medieval Madness conversion. And so that sort of gave me some inspiration talking to him and I bought a, an as-is NBA fast break that had all sorts of parts missing from it off the playfield, which didn't really worry me. Uh, from one of the importers and pulled it to pieces and made my own medieval madness. So, yeah, it was certainly a challenge like it was quite a few years ago now. Uh, I know a lot of the people who have done conversions have got an original beside them, whereas I didn't have that luxury. Uh, so, yeah, I just got a whole heap of photos off the net, other people on forums that had stripped down medievals from memory. The manual is a little bit useless. There's a few mechs that it doesn't even describe in there. Uh, and yeah, I had to lathe up some of the, the axles and shafts for the, the gear, one of the gearboxes, I remember. But look, it was a fun project. It did take me quite a while because when I hit a bit of a roadblock, I'd just park it for a few months. So I didn't want it to stress me out. I wanted to really enjoy it. So yeah, after 18 months or a couple of years, I had a fully working medieval madness. I still haven't put the flashes in. And I still have an NBA cabinet with rusty legs on it, but hey, it's good fun to play. It sits in the lineup and uh, it tells a bit of a story like it is. Uh, there'll be many an older pinball player that's happy there's no flashes in it. <laughs> yeah, that's correct. <laughs> Nothing so. better than being blinded by flashes going off everywhere, but uh, Medieval's not too bad for it. It's just more of the modern games can really hurt the eyes. There was a post on one of the Aussie forums about the best way to clean out a game if it was a bit dirty. Can you tell us... Number one, what the post was, and number two, the reactions you got from it. Yeah, so what happened, I had a machine on my trailer, and I thought, everyone's asking me for pinball tips. And I thought, well, quite a few people want to know how to clean a playfield. So I started off the clip, and maybe you can link it in the show notes, of uh, that some people like to use um, Novus or um, Nifty is a product we use here in Australia that's quite good. And then I went to say, but look, my favourite tool is the good old garden hose. And there's a video of me with the hose, spraying it on the playfield. And I'm saying, look, it's really good. You just get the moisture to soak right in there. Uh, we'll probably, probably dry it out for a few hours before I have a game this afternoon. Uh, and then people linked it to the uh, one of the Facebook sites worldwide. And I think a few of our overseas friends don't quite get the dry Aussie sense of humour, uh, nor did they cotton on that Townsville had just been through a horrific flood uh, in the preceding three days. And, yeah, this machine had actually sat for four days completely underwater. It was over the DMD. So uh, me spending 30 seconds with a hose was going to have zero impact on it. But, uh, yeah, it certainly got the desired reaction. Uh, lots of comments about my level of intelligence, uh, severely lack of 
knowledge of electronics and water. Uh, but yeah, what's really interesting is as we speak, John, I'm looking at that same machine. Uh, it's got a brand new cabinet I built. The play field was actually perfectly okay. I got a, a mate here to clear coat it and I had to powder coat the rails because they were all rusted and pitted. Uh, but all the plastics were fine and most of the other mechs, except every globe holder was completely rusted. So that was a real pain, resoldering all the globe holders. But that machine is 100% working and playing like an absolute dream and looks fantastic right now. What game is it? Terminator 2. I'll be back. <laughs> <laughs> I just remember that post. It was so funny. Townsville's not as humid as Cairns and Darwin. Is there a problem with pinball maintenance in the subtropical to tropical, tropical areas that you know of? Yeah, I don't really think so. Like, I've stored a bunch of machines, like like those Magic Hedic Island ones. They were, they were stored in a shed on the island for eight years or so um, and certainly the cabinets deteriorated there but that was only a kilometre from the salt air and it was they did have an opening on it I've got machines in my shed I think if the back glasses are on the way out you'd have to be really careful with flaking of, of old glasses and uh, but on the most part the rest of it is quite okay like machines I've got in my collection they're inside and we run the air conditioner not constantly but when we're down here and it's hot no on, on the most part it's it's all pretty good as long as you don't get moisture in the cabinet or completely over the cabinet like that terminator 2 machine what do you use as your prevention for back glass flaking yeah i haven't had a whole lot of experience with that i did buy some triple thick that people uh suggest but i haven't actually used it yet so most of the glasses that i've got here are quite good um i have got a joker poker in my uh, shed and it's really good and I'm actually thinking I should maybe just bring it inside just for a little bit of extra care to make sure it doesn't let go. Just give people a picture too, how many in the games room at the moment? I've got about 15 machines. We've got a, okay. a what's called, it's not a really a Queenslander house but a typical Queensland house in that the all living and uh, sleeping is upstairs and then at ground level it's all closed in so we've got a 6 by 12 metre big rumpus room where... Lots of pinballs are, and a few a few other little That's toys. What every house needs, an entire downstairs filled with pinball, and the family's upstairs. <laughs> Correct. And you have a very nice home-built shed outside, which has been purpose-built for something not pinball. What can you tell me about that? Yeah, well, um, last year a, uh, a wakeboarding boat came up for sale not too far away. We decided that it was probably a little bit more family-oriented than uh, a whole bunch of pinball machines. So actually sold off quite a, a large number of machines, sold about 16 pinballs, and that paid for the boat and the shed. So my wife and I built a 6 by 12 metre shed, uh, four and a half metres high. So that was quite an achievement. And uh, it was great. Last time you were up, John, we, uh, we took you and one of your kids out and went on the beautiful Ross River where there's only freshwater crocodiles that you water ski and wakeboard with, and they only lick you. Yeah. They're friendly. The trap is now set. So it's just a matter of baiting it. And that's where this little fella comes in. You can't expect a croc to eat a bit of old meat. So mate, let's whack him into the trap and away we go. Come on. I didn't think we were going to kill the chook, mate. It's the law of the jungle. Just put him in there. Come on. It won't take long. We to have cook. to... Yes. I thought you said we were going to get some meat from the butchers. No. <laughs> Only nibble a little bit at a time. No. No, we, we had a ball out in the river behind, and it's a magnificent boat for the for the boaties out there. Is it a, what is it? 
What brand? Uh, it's a, a Supra, 2007. Uh, but yeah, nice, great. You can fit 13 people on it, so we can go out with all our. We've got four four young kids and another family with all their kids, and yeah, it's just a great day out. And Townsville trivia: Why is Magnetic Island called Magnetic Island? You might have to answer that one, John, because I believe uh-huh. you won a prize on the radio for that. Maggie Island was named by Captain James Cook, who was mapping the east coast of Australia on his uh, HMS Endeavour. And someone must have bumped a compass or done something strange because when he was getting towards Townsville, his compass readings were out. So instead of admitting that uh, someone had made a mistake in their cartography, he said, that island there must be full of magnetic materials, which is making my compass go wrong. So he called it Magnetic Island. The good old... The good old correlation and causation that's causing so much <laughs> angst in the world today. So you have a young son, yes, Lewis. Lewis. What can you tell me about his pinball uh, skills? Yeah, well, he's 11 years old and probably in the last 12 months, he's really started to understand the link between rules and shots and understand what you got to do to capitalise on scoring. He doesn't mind a bit of nudging, but he also can be understanding of, of the tilt and can play the game differently if required. So he loves coming to local competitions. Uh, one of the, the only issues with that is uh, one of our main monthly events is at an 18s only bar, and it goes to too late at night. For him, he's got to go to school the next day. But we had a competition here in December as part of our Summer Slam series, and yeah, you came up and, and Emily and we had, I think, 35 people at the comp that night. It was on a Friday night here at our place. And I'm very proud to say that he actually won the whole competition. And keeping in mind that had a number of people in the top 10 in Australia, certainly a fair chunk in the top 50. And he won fair and square. He got in the finals. He beat someone very well in the first round. Uh, I think then he might have beaten Emily and then he had mm-hmm. to pay Peter Farley Jenkin, who is an incredible player. And it was Lewis's game. No, yes, it was Lewis's game choice for the second game. And we had a Data East Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles that I was here repairing. It's an absolutely terrible game. And it'll play for an hour if you don't set it up quite hard. Not your game. Your game no. played for about 10 seconds because I know I tilted every ball. That's it. So what we did to, to overcome that was, because uh, I didn't really want to change all the outlines because it wasn't my machine, uh, we just set, set the uh, tilt to very sensitive. And everyone knew that because like, everyone was tilting it. And yeah, Lewis just went up there with that mindset. And uh, and I think it... it uh, freaked poor old Farley out and uh yeah he actually won the whole competition so he he had a grin from ear to ear for the next few days so it was really really good that's that's excellent and we should point out that Farley is 16 years old himself so the the old men were taking the back seat that night yeah that's right yeah you me Jason Chris Somerville Dave Berry we were all knocked out very very early um and I think yeah so Lewis come first at 11 Farley at 16 and Emily at 18 with third so that's great to see young people coming through good to see so the uh, pinball scene, as far as tournament play, is thriving in Townsville now after a bit of a lull? Yeah, that's right. We, um, I'm trying to think back. I think very early on in the days of Aussie Arcade, when there was a few meets about, I organised one and two people other than myself turned up. <laughs> and, uh, you know, some people might get a bit disheartened by that. Uh, it was good fun. We, we had a chat. We played a few machines and learned some, some of the history of some of the local machines. And... 
Anyway, kept persevering, and then I had another meet, and we, we had about 10 or 12 in that. And I think that was the first IFPA competition that I hosted. And then another guy got involved, and suddenly we started getting 12 or 15 out here. And then Alex started having comps at his place as well. And then Jason opened up his venue in town after he bought a few machines from me and elsewhere around the place. So now we've got four venues that have really got quite a, a varied collection of machines in Townsville. And there's at least one competition a month and and often more than that as well. A thriving scene with a lot of very good collections. My my favourite Alex story from his house was the uh, Summer Slam meet about five years ago where he had the pole in the middle of his games room for people to practice pole dancing and one chap discovered the joys of fireball did some pole dancing didn't turn up the next day for the pinball tournament until lunchtime with his leg in plaster and on crutches and we said what happened he said well apparently while i was pole dancing i broke my ankle <laughs> he didn't realize until he got up in the morning and went to stand on it so fireball no, pinball and pole dancing do not combine well No, but we certainly appreciate people like yourself and, and the others. There was one year a big crew from Brisbane came up um, to our comps, like a, a few of us uh, try and travel a little bit, and it's it's great when that uh, is reciprocated and we love to, to host anyone up here. And we, what we try and do is combine a few comps so we make it worthwhile and that people get to experience three or four different venues. Aussie time. What's your favourite Aussie movie you've ever seen? I'd probably going to have to quote, John, the one that you did in your pilot episode, that The Castle. <laughs> I. You know, I'm sitting in my pool room right now. Yeah. I don't know. I, I saw it saw it when I was in university and I had no idea what to expect. Um, I had a mate who worked in the movies and uh, he'd just get us all in for free that went to uni with him. And he said, hey, go and, he, go and see this one. I hear it's pretty good. And, and I just laughed the whole way through. This is going straight to the pool room. Um, like it's it's exactly the, the sense of humour that, that really uh, gels with me. How's this, boys? Woohoo! What do you call this? Chicken. Uh, so many great quotes in it, and uh, you know, a bit of a story of the Aussie battler and sticking it to everyone else. Your second favourite movie beside The Castle would be probably The Dish, which was almost a sequel uh, to The Castle. Uh, not quite as laugh out loud funny, but still some some really good humour in it. So what's this all about? We've got the moonwalk. Huh? The moonwalk. What they pick up? Turns out it's the largest radio telescope in the Southern Hemisphere. What's it doing in the middle of a sheep paddock? Which town is part of the Apollo 11 mission? Parks. The people in this place, they know what they're doing? I believe so. Bloody will hope so. I mean, no offence, but uh, the Americans spend billions of dollars to let us watch man walk on the moon and in the end it falls to you blokes. <laughs> I mean, how do you feel about that? A lot better before you open your trap. And then another classic too that has just... Uh, I haven't seen it for a while now, is The Nugget. Where's the car, guys? We go and leave a multi-million dollar gold nugget in the back of a ute. We should have made it easier for him and left the keys in the ignition. I think I did, didn't I? Got a, quite a few of Aussie comedians in it uh, about someone finding a gold nugget. Okay, who's in The Nugget? Yeah, Eric Banner. Um, there's a very funny podcast called Somehow Related with Dave O'Neill and Glenn Robbins. And uh, yeah, so Dave O'Neill was one of the people in The Nugget as well. $2.40 short. <laughs> What's so funny? So it's just, we're so rich that... We could we buy two burgers each. Easy. <laughs> the Nugget. And your favourite Aussie music. What do you 
What's on your playlist? I have a pretty wide-ranging taste in music. Uh, I know some, a lot of people don't like it, but I quite like country. Um, so Keith Urban is uh, I'm a big, big fan of his. We've been to a couple of concerts. But also really like Living End. I think they're a great Aussie band. And then an offshoot of them that maybe not too many have heard of is Area 7. Uh, a little bit more... Um, yeah, it's along, along the similar lines of Living End. And then old classic Australian stuff, love a bit of cold chisel. All right, and as good as Townsville is, and as beautiful as Townsville is, and it surrounds, where is your favourite holiday spot to get away from it all? Yeah, well, as we said in the intro, I'm probably more of a, a bit of a country bloke than, than big cities. Like, I, I love going to the coast and, and spending time at the beach. But probably my favourite holiday that I remember is uh, going through with a bunch of mates when I was at uni through the Simpson Desert. So we had two four-wheel drives and we spent three weeks um, going from Toowoomba through the desert and then back down through South Australia. And it was just fantastic. You know, there was uh, three or four days in the Simpson. I remember one morning we woke up and we actually had rain in the desert, surprisingly, surrounded by water. The next morning we camped on top of a sand dune, you watched the sun go down one side, the sun rise the next, and uh, woke up to camels sniffing around our swags. So that, like, that's just part of Australia that you uh, not, not too many people get to experience, it's fantastic. Scenery's not that varied, but the vastness of it is just extraordinary. Yeah, that's right. But um, look, and, and around the tropical north, there, there are some absolutely stunning areas, um, particularly a little bit further north of here, uh, right up in the wet tropics around Port Douglas, um, the Atherton Tablelands, oh, yeah. uh, and the Daintree. So, yeah, all sorts One of things. One thing you don't want to do is, is, is wake up in the morning and have a cassowary sniffing around your sleeping bag. No, no, they're quite violent, the old cassowaries. <laughs> For those who don't know, it's like a, a smaller version of an emu with a horn on its head that will uh, just rip you to shreds if it disagrees with you, and they often do disagree with people. So when you see one, you climb a tree because, thank goodness, they cannot fly. Just another thing in Australia to kill you. But yeah, look, the other thing I really enjoy about the – I don't think it's unique to, to Townsville in the tropical north, but really – the, the people are very diverse up here and when we get together with pinball competitions and, and get-togethers, everything else just gets left behind and you sit around and have fun and it's fantastic. And mm. some of the other opportunities I've had too, we've had some of the local car clubs bring all their members uh, out here and we'll cook a barbecue for lunch and they hang around here for four or five hours, play a whole bunch of machines that they haven't seen uh, and then occasionally a couple of our kids get to go for a drive in some uh, pretty nice old cars. Oh, Steve, could you move the Chimera? I need to get the Tirana out so I can get to the Commodore. I'll have to get the keys of Cortina. I'm going to move that Chimera. Yeah, watch the boat, mate. Yeah. So examples of their favourite old cars? Yeah, well, the, the, the best one that uh, the kids like was actually a new Mustang. It was a 1,000 horsepower. We were burning up all the back streets of Alligator Creek in that. It was great fun. Uh, but, yeah, some really nice old Chryslers and some old Holdens, Holdens that have been done up fantastically well by some of the locals. You mentioned a, a bit of time on the beach. For those who don't know, not a lot of people swim in the beach in Townsville. Uh, why is that? <laughs> no, so, well, we've got saltwater crocodiles in the water, in the beach. We've also got Irukandji jellyfish, which are commonly known as stingers. But my tour opened in a place called Townsville, which was up in the north of Queensland, up in the tropical bit. And I went for a little walk, walking along the seaside, and there was a big notice board, and it says, Beware! So I was being ware. <laughs> stingers! Exclamation mark. I thought, stinger. 
Now, I don't know if stingers burrow holes in the ground, drop out of trees or arrive and can taxis. But I'm being where? And I thought, I better read on. Stingers or box jellyfish. I said, my God, because they're gift wrapped. What kind of country is this? Imagine you're giving it a bit of that. This box with a big bow on it. Oh, I wonder what that is. It says, if the heart stops. I thought, what size is this? The cloud comes over the sun, you know. It says, douse the wounds. Wait, you hear this? Douse the wound liberally with vinegar. I always go swimming with a bottle of vinegar. You're probably the same yourself. Uh, as well as other things like box jellyfish, which will kill you if you, you go near them. So, yeah, so there's uh, bottles of vinegar all around the beaches here for the uh, people who don't know not to get in. Uh, normally between May to October, it's okay to swim apart from the crocodiles. The the stingers, it's, it's a little bit too cool for them. And, uh, yeah, during the stinger season, some people, if they're really keen to get in the water, they'll put on a, a lycra suit that covers them from head to toe and go for a swim. To be honest, you're better off going to a freshwater creek uh, or your backyard swimming pool. So only the smaller crocodiles and slightly less venomous snakes are in the uh, freshwater creeks. That's right. Well, actually, out here, our little suburb's called Alligator Creek. Uh, in one of the floods that we had a couple of years ago, we had yeah water go over everything. Yeah, one of the locals ended up with a little crocodile that was about 20 centimetres long in their swimming pool from the flood water. Why is it called Alligator Creek? I think there's a rock that looks like an alligator and the creek because we don't have alligators in Australia. But the creek next next south to Alligator Creek is Crocodile Creek. And I can assure you, we've been fishing in there. There's plenty of big saltwater crocodiles. It's so enticing to come over to Townville for a holiday. I tell you, if you do go there, you will love it. And and people say the thing where they say, oh, we want to we want to uh, take a dive on the Great Barrier Reef too. You might just go up to Townsville and pop out for you know an hour or so and have a dive. And I don't think people quite know how far the Great Barrier Reef is from the shore of Townsville. No, that's right. Have you been out there for a dive? Uh, no, I haven't been directly out from Townsville. Uh, it's about 80 kilometres. So, uh, yeah, we've been to some other reefs and, and a little bit further away from Townsville, which is quite beautiful. I suppose if you need to stay somewhere in Townsville, remember that we've got probably the best Airbnb in Australia, uh, the Pinball Airbnb. And uh, one of the local guys has got a, a house that you can rent out. And ooh, I don't know, there's probably 14 or 15 pinball machines uh, in a downstairs area, which we use for competition sometimes. So it's fantastic. We stayed there in January with the family and it's extraordinary. And if you ask him really nicely, he'll even put a keg on the bar for you downstairs. <laughs> but it's not on Airbnb website, so don't look for it. Uh, contact myself, Podcast at gmail.com or Rob or Jason in Townsville via the forums or Messenger, and you can do your bookings directly with Jason at his house, and it's worth it. Pool in the backyard, foosball table upstairs, three bedrooms, kitchen, uh, and it's a walk to the Strand, which is the uh, the major touristy beach bit that you can look at the water and go, that would be nice to swim in. There is a very slimy rock pool you can wade through. Yeah, no, look, it's all right. You can go, go, go for a swim there, but... No, they've done a lot of work in Townsville too, like after one of the cyclones. Oh, we haven't even talked about that. We get cyclones every couple of years here. It wiped out the, uh, the foreshore area and they spent a lot of money importing sand and uh, really doing up the gardens. And it's really nice. You go on for a walk there with the family, go for a ride on the bike. It really does feel like you're in a bit of paradise. All right, mate. Well, um, thank you for your time. No dramas. Right out. Doing a good job, mate. Good, mate. Okay. All good right. On. Thank you very much. Gotcha, boy. 
And that's it for this episode of the Aussie Pinball Podcast. I hope you enjoyed hearing all about life in tropical North Queensland. And I'll leave you with a classic Aussie song by Russell Morris called The Real Thing. The song was featured in the film The Dish. The Australians who have been around long enough, it was written by the Johnny Young and produced by one Ian Molly Meldrum. Don't forget all feedback is welcome at aussiepinballpodcast at gmail.com and I'll catch you all in a couple of weeks. Uru.